You are blessed. Praise God. You know, I'm tired of I'm tired of being concerned about social distancing and all that. I told my wife, I just felt like getting all the all up here tonight, just praying it all over you, spit all over you, just let it just just make everybody, you know, do whatever. I'm just tired of the whole thing. And it's really kind of ridiculous for, for um, you know, because y'all aren't social distancing. And so, you know, it really, does, whatever I could try to get y'all to do, it isn't going to make any difference. Y'all going to do what you're going to do anyway. And y'all stand around, hug, and do whatever going out the door. So it doesn't make any difference. So praise God. We're going back to laying hands on people. Amen. Okay, well, I want to share something with you tonight. You got to listen to me tonight. You don't get Dr. Brown. For some of y'all may say amen. You're tired of being told what. Stop eating, but I'll give you a little reprieve tonight. <clears throat> amen. I want you to go get your Bibles out. Go to the book of Titus, chapter one. I want to just touch on what I said Sunday, and then I want to go into uh, uh, another little vein of that tonight. We were talking about being seduced and the things that Proverbs 7 talks about, about the, you know, it's not just a physical thing with the woman seducing the young man. It's, it's all the things that want to seduce us, seduce us to be angry, seduce us to worry, seduce us to walk in fear, to, to, to you know, uh, to get into whatever you would be attracted to, you know, and, and get you tripped up and get you stumbling in your walk with Jesus. That's what it's all about. But Titus 1.15 is a scripture that uh, we need to memorize if you don't already have it memorized. It says, to the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But even their minds and their conscience are defiled. So in other words, if you have an approach to loving God that's pure, okay, then you're going to keep pure. And when I said this Sunday, and, and I, I wanted to expound more on it, but I, I ran out of time. I just want you to understand something. When I say love God, a lot of people say, well, how do you love God? You know, you don't, you, you can't see God. You can't hold him. It's not like you're loving your wife, you know, or your, your husband. You know, it's just right there. You can physically see him. No, when we talk about loving God, I'm talking about I love, and this is the only way I know how to explain it, is just to say, I love everything about God, okay? Like, in other words, I love that God's a righteous God. I love that I, I, I can go before the throne of God. And whether I've done something wrong or not, I know that I'm going to get a pure, clear judgment from God, right? I'm not going to be, he didn't get bought off by somebody. He's not going to give me an unrighteous judgment. He's not going to not know the truth. I, it's not like I got to have the great defense to explain my, my defense to him. He knows my heart. He knows everything about me. He knows the number of the hairs of my head. So when I go to God, I don't have to worry that he's going to, you know, give me a, that's not fair. If he said it, it's so because he knows what's right. I love that about God. I love that no wicked person's going to get away with sin. They may think they're going to get away with it, but they're not going to get away with it. I know God's going to, in the end, all the, the, the unrighteous are going to be judged. I know there's no liar, no thief, no, no, you know, whatever out there that's going to get away with anything. Amen. I'm so tired of this world right now. It seems like everybody's a liar. And nobody seems to care about it. And they seem to say that if they lie enough, that eventually it's going to be true. 
but a lie is a lie, and God knows it. And I love that about God. I love that God cares about everybody, uh, even the wicked. He still cares about them. I love that God would love us so much he would send Jesus to save us, okay? I love, I love that Jesus walked down the street, and there was a woman came up to him, and she said, you know, Lord, heal my daughter. And he says, well, look, I'm, I've been sent to the, to, the, to the children of Israel. And the woman says, whoa, 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 Lord, you know, even the little dogs eat from under the master's table. And he's like, I like this woman's faith, and he heals her daughter. I like that blind Bartimaeus got up and just created a ruckus and yelled and hollered and screamed until Jesus finally said, get, get, bring the guy over here. What do you want? I want to be healed. Be healed. <clears throat> I love that 10 lepers came to Jesus and wanted to be healed, but only one returned back to give him praise, and he still healed all 10. You follow me? I love everything about the, the, the way God is. I trust him. I love him because of his word and what he says is word that he's always going to be faithful to his word. All right. So loving God is not just like I have this whooshy feeling, right? I, 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 you know, there's times, and I know this may sound silly or whatever, I don't know, but there's times I tell my wife, just come touch me. I just, I just need you to touch me. I, just need to, I need your touch. I need to feel your love. I love to hug my wife. We get up every morning when, and I hug her, you know, or she comes and hugs me if I'm up before she is. And so I want the touch. I love that, okay? I love the way it makes me feel. When we were first married, I used to get her and just hold her and I'd say, love, 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 love. And, but I can't do that physically with God, but I love everything about him. I love When I read my Bible, I get excited and I love what God is prophesying. I love what God is doing. I love what God is saying. When you read the, the Psalms and you're reading through the Psalms of what God is saying and the beautiful things he's saying, I love it. All right? There's not any aspect about God, even when I'm in trouble, I still know that God has a hope and a future for me. And I love it. I love that if God's correcting me, he's correcting me because he knows that I need to change because I want to end up in a bad place. I know that God's not, I love that God's not going to correct me with sickness and disease. He's not going to put something on me. He's not going to, you know, exact something upon me. I know that if I've got myself in distress, I'm only in distress because I got myself in distress. That God loves me. He wants to set me free. Amen? So when I'm talking about loving God, I, it's more than just saying, I just like to come to church and feel his presence. It's every aspect about him. So when you begin to talk to people and you ask them, do you love God? They may not know what you're talking about. This is what we're talking about. This is the kind of love that if you have that kind of love for God, you're not going to get off. To the pure, all things will be pure. All right? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not to your understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. You ever thought much about that scripture? Because it says, you don't know what you're doing. I'm, I'm paraphrasing this. You don't really know what you're doing, but if you would acknowledge me and what you're doing, I'll make sure you get to the right place. That's Robert Richards' paraphrase. Are you, are you following me? Think of that. God's saying, Okay, if you just start out in the project acknowledging me in it, I'll make sure you get to the right place. Even if you bounce upon every corner that's there before you get there, I'll make sure at the end you get where you need to be. Stumble and trip over every rock and flop around and flail, but you, I will get you to the end. I love that about God, right? But you see, people don't love God like I'm talking about. People think of it as religion. 
They think of it as a pharisaical way. And that's why people don't want to serve God. So, well, I don't, you know, if you go to church, the preacher is going to tell you what you shouldn't do. It's just a bunch of do's and don'ts. That's all it's going to be. Tell you you're a sinner. Going to go to hell. So we don't want to go to church because I want to do this. They don't really love God. Because believe me, if I find it in the word that it says you shouldn't be doing it, then I don't want to do it because I know I love God and I want to do what he wants me to do. Hello? So people don't love God because they don't want to do what he said, he said to do. All right? Okay. So I want, to, I want you to, to, to turn to Proverbs chapter 4, verse 25. Now I want to, I want to go off on a little bit different vein. <clears throat> I want, to, I want to help you in, in, in keeping this position, you know, because what happens to us is like tonight we listen to this and you're like, yeah, I love God. I do love his word. I do love everything. So we get pumped and I pump you up because of the anointing and the, I'm an encourager and I got y'all encouraged y'all leave tonight. You're, and you're like, yeah. And then tomorrow starts coming and then you're just like, oh God, and you start to lose sight, and you're like, I do love you, but this is ridiculous. Can't you deliver me, oh God? But see, what we always, what we always think is, is we think if we don't have any problems in life, you don't have any issues in life, that then you must be serving God. But that's not true, that none of that is true. I mean, I've always looked at the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Great story, right? Going to be thrown in the, fire, the burning fiery furnace. But why didn't God just go, like, they stoked it up really hot, and they got it so hot that it killed all the guys in front of them. And then when they got ready to throw them in, it just went, and it was gone. And then they could have turned around and said, yeah, that's our God. That's who we serve. <laughs> Put your fire out, boys. Right? But see, that's the, that's the arrogance and ego side of me the way I'd have done it. And God said, no, let's just throw them in it. But then Jesus showed up in the fire with them, the fourth man in the fire. And then they came out and their clothes didn't burn and, or nothing like that. But see, I would have never thought about that. Right? Okay. So anyway. So how do you stay on track is what I'm saying to you. How do you stay on track loving God? And that's where I'm, I'm going with this one. So Proverbs 4.25. It says, let your eyes look straight ahead. And your eyelids look right before you. Let your eyes look straight ahead and your eyelids look right before you. Now, just think about that for a minute. If you make a straight path and you said, this is where we're going to go. Well, then you just go that way and you just kind of don't observe. My wife accuses me all the time of having tunnel vision. You know, she always tells me, it's in the fridge right there. Just look, it's in the fridge on the second shelf. And I look and I ain't there. Because if she said, look in the fridge on the second shelf, I'm looking at the fridge on the second shelf. I don't look up one and I don't look down to the other one. I'm looking at that. And then finally she'll come and say, oh my gosh, look, just move this. And there it is. I think I may have told y'all this the other day that, that, that I, I was trying to find a, a, a thermos bottle that I always take to work with me. And I, I, you know, I usually bring it in the house when I'm out of my truck. It, it's empty, you know, for the next day. And I knew I'd brought it in, but I hadn't used it in a couple of days. And so she always puts it over in a certain place. And so I, I needed it and she wasn't in the house. And so I looked and I said, I said, I, I said, it should be right there. I said, no, come on. It was after one of Dr. Brown's mindfulness messages. And so I said, OK, let's just be in the moment. Let's just be mindful. Let's just not worry about if I can't find it. I'll find it. It's right here. So I looked and it wasn't there. And I was like, OK. 
Uh, let's don't get irritated about it. It's okay. Let's look over here. Maybe it's over here. So I went over there and I looked and then I thought, well, you know, I've never seen her put it in this other place, but maybe there's some other things I know down there. And so I went and looked down there. And then so that wasn't, and I said, oh, wait a minute, there's a basket in the uh, uh, in the utility room that sometimes she puts some stuff in, and so maybe it's there. So I went and looked, and I got the basket down, and I, you know, there was a part of me just wanting to get mad, but then the other part kept saying, nobody's going to be mindful about this. It's okay. It's not a big deal. I'll get another mug, but I'm just looking for the one I want. So I looked all over. So finally I put it up, and I said, okay, I'm bound to just be missing it, because I know it would be in here. And so I thought, oh, well, maybe it's in my truck. So I went up to my truck. I looked all through my truck. It was in my truck. And then so I thought, okay, well, I went back in the house one more time. So I looked and I studied. I, I'm telling y'all, I, I, I was trying with x-ray vision to look. And I saw, I, was, I looked around the cabinet. Okay, let's just stop right here. Okay, it's not there. 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 And I wasn't mad. I wasn't just off. I was being mindful of the situation there. It's not there. It's there. Okay, it's not there. 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 It's there. It's not there. It's there. Not there. So finally, I gave up. I said, I'll oh, forget it. I went and found another mug and put it in there and left. So then that afternoon, we came home, and, and so we're there. And I said, oh, by the way, I said, I was looking all over the place for my little brown mug. And, and, and I, I mean, honestly, I said, I'm not mad about anything. I said, but I looked all over the house. I said, where'd you put it? And she said, oh, my Lord, Robert. And I said, what? I said, I'm telling you, it's not in the house here. I looked. And she said, just stand up from right here and just look. And there's a little island that sits between the table and the, the counter. And it was just sitting there on that little island as plain as day. But I, I mean, literally, I was inches from it, walking around it. I mean, it was not this far from me at times, walking around, and I could not see it, okay? So, you know, the benefit of having tunnel vision is if you have a tunnel vision for the life you're living, well, then you're just going straight ahead, and you're not seeing anything to the left or the right. You're not going to be distracted, all right? Let me give you another one, Psalm 16, 8. So what are we looking at? Psalm 16, 8 tells us. I have set the Lord always before me. I've set the Lord always before me. Because he's at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. Why? Because you set the Lord, your eyes are focused on Jesus. Your eyes are focused on on God and who he is and your, it's he's your heavenly father and your spirit's crying at Abba Father and you're focused in this one direction and that's what you're looking at. He says when you do that then, your heart turns glad because you're not seeing the destruction, although there may be some on your side, your left and your right, you're seeing God's goodness and his answer to his promises and that he says yes and amen to his promises and that he's faithful to his promises. Now, what's interesting is in Acts chapter 2, verse 25, Peter quotes Psalm 16 in his uh, message that he's given to the people after the Holy Spirit was poured out. And he says it just a little bit different. <coughs> Excuse me. He said, for David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face. He said it just a little different. Instead of I set the Lord always before me, he said, I saw the Lord, Lord always before my face. In other words, he's keeping his focus on Jesus. Are you following me? 
And I kind of like Peter's maybe paraphrase of Psalm 16. I don't know how that all works out through the Greek and the Hebrew, but I like it. I set the Lord always before my face. In other words, it's just, he's right there. So he's always looking at Jesus. So we're always looking at the word. So what should happen in life is if a trial or tribulation comes upon us, the first thing that we need to do is we've got the Lord set before us and said, oh, yeah, Lord, there's, you know, uh, there's something going on over here. What do, you, what do you say about it? He's right here before your face. Not like you don't know where he is. You feel like he's a million miles away. You have to stop and pray for three days and, and, and burn candles and throw oil and, and do whatever to get to you think that the Lord. No, if you keep him always before your face, then he's right there. Now, I want you to go to the Old Testament, Isaiah 44. <clears throat> and I'll tell you, if you want to get yourself encouraged in your daily reading, just spend some time in the Isaiah 40 through 47, 48. Spend some time to those chapters and just keep reading them over and over again. Man, that's some of the greatest things that, that Isaiah prophesied. I mean, it's like, I don't know, because we don't know the time period. I don't know if those are how long a time period those were prophesied, if it was all a one-day prophecy, if it was a whatever. But I'm telling you what, those chapters, man, that he, Isaiah was hitting pay dirt, man. I mean, he was anointed. He was flowed in the Holy Ghost and seeing some good things. But I want you to skip down to verse 9. Go to Isaiah 44, 9. And I'm going to show you what, what he says here. Now, you got to understand, here's Isaiah the prophet. He is prophesying, so this is as God is speaking through the man, right? He's talking about idols. And he says, those who make an image, all of them are useless. And their precious things shall not profit. They are their own witnesses. They neither see nor know that they may be ashamed. Who would form a God uh, or mold an image that profits him nothing? Surely all of his companions would be ashamed. And the workmen, they are men. Let them all be gathered together. Let them all stand up. Yea, they shall fear. They shall be ashamed together. The blacksmith with the tongs works on, on works one in the coals, fashions it with hammers, works it as if it's strength of the strength of his arms. Even so, he is hungry and his strength fails. He drinks no water and is faint. The craftsman stretches out his rule. He marks one out of the chalk and fashions it with a plane. He marks it out of his compass and makes it like the figure of a man, according to the beauty of a man that it may remain in the house. He cuts down cedars for himself. He takes the cypress and the oak. He secures it for himself among the trees of the forest. He plants a pine and rain nourishes it. Then it shall be for a man to burn, for he who takes some of it and warms himself. Yes, he kindles it and bakes bread. Indeed, he makes a god and worships it. He makes it as a carved image and it falls and falls down to it and burns half of it in the fire. Now, so just hear what he's saying here. He's saying, you just made a God out of the thing that baked your bread, right? He's saying, you got some use out of this log and made your fire. That was, you know, I mean, that was something, but now you're saying that it's a God. And when I was reading this, I was thinking, oh my gosh, I'm not, you know, not so much about making an idol, but how, listen, is it not, we take a little something and make what is the old verbiage? A make a mountain out of a molehill, 
right? And we let, it, let the enemy seduce us and blow it up until it's a huge something. And in a sense, we're worshiping it. Because if it's bringing fear into you and that's what all your attention is on, you're worshiping it. Oh, you just think the next time the devil comes to you and feeds you that line, that seducing spirit comes to you and starts to lie to you and say, oh, my gosh, you know, whatever. The economy is going to crash and this is going to happen and you're not going to have a job and this is going to be what's going to go on. You just stop. And if you start getting worried and, and that, just just get an imagery of you just bowed down to it and you just worshiped it. Yeah, that'll make you sick and make you want to quit. Because that's what you're doing. That's what he's saying here. He says you're taking these objects that the only thing they're really good for is to make you a loaf of bread, and you've ended up worshiping it. You fashioned it to look like the only thing you knew was another man. Okay? So he goes on here and he says, uh, he even warms himself and says, Ah, I am warm. I have seen the fire. And the rest of it he makes to a God. He has carved image. He falls down before it, worships it, prays into it, and says, Deliver me, for you are my God. They do not know or understand, for you shut their eyes so they cannot see in their hearts, so they cannot understand, and no one considers in his heart. Nor is there knowledge or understanding to say, I have burned half of it in the fire. Yes, I've also baked bread on its coals. I have roasted meat and eaten it. And shall I make the rest of it an abomination? Shall I fall down before the block of wood? He feeds on the ash and, del and deceives his heart and turns him aside. He cannot deliver his soul nor say, is there not a lie in my right hand? In other words, as much as we let these things bother us and let these things come into our hearts and let these things get hold of us, what Isaiah is saying here is that we're taking it and we're making an idol and we're worshiping it. Yeah, I want Dr. Brown to come back. Just tell me not to eat sugar. I'll take it. Listen, I'm just trying to help you here. we got to keep our eyes focused on Jesus. And right now, the world's nutso. You've got every kind of crazy thing in the world, plus then you've got every conspiracy theory coming up. You've got all of this, and then this is going to happen. If that didn't happen, this didn't happen. The other day I was laughing. I was talking with some friends, and we got to laughing about how one conspiracy is disclaiming the other conspiracy. In other words, like, like if these are all the bad guys, well, then, then the bad guys aren't even working together because they got this line they're running and this play they're running and then that play they're running and they don't coincide with each other. So, you know, they're either, either they're all wrong or one of them's right or the others aren't right or they're all going to just spoil themselves. I don't know how it's going to work out. But, it, but what I'm saying is, see, we, we let this happen to We let that seducing spirit come into us and whip all this stuff up in us until we walk around in worry and concern and fears. And then we get agitated and this, that and the other. And what's happening is we're just not keeping the Lord before our face. We're not walking with him right here. And we're actually worshiping the fear. So go back to verse 1, Isaiah 44, 1. Now listen to this. This is such good stuff. Oh, my goodness. He says, Hear now, O Jacob, my servant, and Israel, whom I have chosen. I want you all to know, in, in my Bible, I scratched out Jacob, and I wrote Robert. And when it says Israel, I wrote Mr. Richards. So I had to remind myself, uh, Dr. Brown, in his message, said that when he gets irritated, he calls himself Brown. Well, that probably came from the military. Everybody's hollering their last name, Brown. And so, but I, I said Mr. Richards because, you know, if I was in trouble, it's Mr. Richards. And so 
Hear now, O, o Jacob, O servant of, and of Israel, whom I've chosen. I've chosen. I've chosen. I've chosen. Huh? I've chosen. You're not sitting here tonight or watching this program tonight because you had a good idea to get saved. No, God chose you and brought you into the kingdom of God. And you're sitting here as a chosen servant of God. And, and, oh, and I made you and I formed you from the womb who will help you. Now, listen to me. Sometimes we, we look at ourselves, and I love Dr. Brown's message last week about uh, uh, self-compassion. Wasn't that the right word, self-compassion? Having self-compassion. Because, you know, so, so many times the devil gets us to beat ourselves up. Right. And he wants us to just be or something. Oh, you're this. But wait a minute. Wow. Oh, let me just throw a oh, throw a, a, a monkey wrench in that. So if you're going to go into not having self-compassion and to being a self-hater. Well, then wouldn't that just be you setting up the idol of you and worshiping it? So you just worshiped all of your faults. You just worshiped all of your weaknesses. You just worshiped and you've created an image of you that's ugly. And you just bowed down and worshiped it, not turning around saying, well, I know I may be crazy, but God must have wanted a crazy one in this bunch because he formed me and he made me this way. I can't help it the way I was raised. Hello? Did you hear what I said? I can't help it the way I was raised. You know? I, I, you know, Brother Ivan gives me a hard time a lot. And he says, you know, he says, Robert, you have an orphan spirit in you. You know, you're a loner. And I said, Ivan, I grew up alone. I grew up on a ranch alone. Yeah, my parents were there, but I didn't have any kids to play with. Went to town once a week. I never saw a shower. I'm talking about a, a bathtub shower. I never saw a shower until I was 16. Didn't even know they were, they were, that anybody had a shower. Showered us with a garden hose outside or the sprinkler. I'm just saying this is the life I lived. I, I can't be mad about it. This is how I was grew up. This is what I, I grew up watching and, 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 and seeing and, and what was around me. But that was God forming me. Yeah, I am kind of a naive country boy, but it, God formed me to be like this for a reason. Maybe so I wouldn't be enticed with some things that I don't even know about. Hello? Are you with me? Okay. He formed you in the womb. Who will help you? Fear not. Oh, Jacob, seeing so you put your name in there. My servant and you, uh, Jeshurun. For I, have, for I have chosen. For I will pour water on him who is thirsty and floods on the dry ground. I'll pour my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. Now, wait a minute. That means your children are going to succeed. That means your children's children are going to succeed because you serve God. He said, well, Robert, let's just think about this for a minute. You know, this is Old Testament scriptures. And, you know, I mean, you know, he's speaking this into the kingdom of Israel. Well, you know, that's you. If in The Old Testament was a type and shadow of what was coming in the New Testament. This could have been just prophesied to you. Put your name in there. It's the same thing. It's what God's saying to you. You're not outside the kingdom. You're inside the kingdom. And your children are going to be blessed. You say, well, hey, I, I believe the first two will, but that other one, Mahili, he's pretty crazy. No, don't make any difference, man. The spirit of God's on them all. And they shall spring up among the grass like willows. 
by the watercourses. In other words, they don't run out. One will say, I'm the Lord's, and another will call uh, himself by the name of Jacob. Another will write with his hand, the Lord's, and name himself by name of Israel. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first. I am the last. And besides me, there isn't any God. And who can proclaim as I do? Then let him declare it and set it in order for me. Since I appointed the ancient people, the things that are coming and shall come. Whoo! Let them, sh let them show these to them. Do not fear nor be afraid. Have I not told you from that time and declare it? You are my witnesses. Therefore, no, is there a God besides me? Indeed, there is no other rock. I know not one. So God is saying, look, see, what wants to happen to us right now is we're all saying, what's going to happen? What's coming in the future? But if you keep your face on Jesus, God's plan is coming for your life in the future. It's like I've been preaching, you know, I believe America sits right now on the precipice of having to make a decision whether we're going to be a sheep nation or a goat nation. But if we become a, this, if this craziness goes and the people go and, and, and vote and we become a goat nation, then I don't care what's going to happen. I'm still going to serve the Lord. I'm still going to preach the gospel. This church is still going to be open. If they're outside with pitchforks and, and, and trying to burn the place down, we're going to get water hoses. It'll rain that day. I don't know what's going to happen. God's going to take care of us. I'm going to keep preaching. It's going to be inconvenient. It's not going to be as comfortable as it was before, but I'm going to keep preaching the gospel. I'm going to keep going up. And I will tell you something. I'm going to keep prospering. You know why? Tell you why. Because the Bible says, given it shall be given unto you, good measures, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. It doesn't say that it's determined upon the, the economy of this world. It says, if I give, I'm going to be blessed. There's nothing else about it. It's a, it's a promise God gave us that doesn't have any uh, condition to it except I operate in it. And if I give, you know what? I'm going to get. So the economy isn't going to affect me. Oh, you say, oh, it will affect you. It's going to be more difficult. What if people start giving? What if nobody has any jobs? I don't know. I don't know how God's going to work it out. I just know that God's word is true. I know that his promise is true. Maybe I just get a bread truck backed up here. You know, money doesn't make any difference if I didn't have to buy bread. Not that I eat bread anyway, but I mean, let's just change this. So, you know, I don't know. I have to come up with a different deal, you know. But, uh, you know, but you follow what I'm saying. God works it all out. I don't know how. It's not my job to figure out how. I worry when I start to figure out how. It's my job to keep him before my face and keep saying, ah, I love you. I love your ways. You're so awesome. You're so magnificent. Oh, there's a problem over here. Uh, Lord, there's a problem over here. You said cast your cares upon you because that's what you're going to take care of it. So, Lord, there's a, there's a, you know, there's something over here that needs to be taken care of, but I'm not losing face of you. Lord, we need to take care of that. Can you take care of that, Lord? And thank you, Lord. I just cast that care upon you. Oh, over here, there's one over here, you know. Yeah, you're just going on. And knowing that there is no God but him. He says, where's our God? Is there another one? God's mocking it like this through, through Isaiah. There's another one? No. Is there another God? No. There's no other God. All right? So I'm, I'm meditating on this and, well, I hate to, hate to, I don't want to 
I don't want to exaggerate her. I actually fell asleep in thinking about this message, took a little nap, and I woke up from my nap, and when I woke up from the nap, I heard a song in my head. Now, I guarantee you, I have not heard this song in a long time, okay? But I want to I wanna just, I want to just, I didn't even know this was a verse to the song. It's an old hymn. And the third stanza, the third verse goes like this. His word shall not fail you, he promised. Believe him and all will be well. Then go to a world that is dying, his perfect salvation to tell. Has anybody got figured out what it is? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That's the third verse of that song. So my wife has this book that has all the old hymns in it, and it tells a little story about who wrote it and whatever. And the person who wrote that was a, was a lady. Her name was Helen H., uh, I believe he pronounced it Lamel. And she was born in the, the later 1800s. And... Uh, Died in 1961 at 98. Wrote over 500 hymns. 500. Okay? But the, in the writing of this, there was a pastor who had, in his early childhood, had been around this lady. And, and she, was, she had, had gone to... Her, her parents were missionaries, and so she had been around all over the country, all over the world, but she'd gone back and she married a, a guy in Germany who mistreated her and had a really bad life. And then somewhere in her life and her broken hardness, she ended up going blind and she went blind. And then from there on, she, she didn't live uh, very prosperous. She was living in just wherever she could live and she was pretty destitute. And uh, she had a little keyboard and she loved the Lord and clung to him and wrote over 500 hymns on this little keyboard that would just come to her, and she would just write them out and plink them out, put the music out of them like that, and wrote all these beautiful hymns. And she wrote this one. And this pastor was saying that as he got older, he'd lost contact with them, and he just felt impressed that he needed to find this lady, and he found her. Because he remembered when he was a young boy that he had never seen a woman that was happier than she was. And she was blind and destitute. And so he found her, and she was still blind and still destitute and just as happy as she ever was. And so when he would ask her and talk to her, she, she would just tell him all these stories of, well, you know, Jesus just takes care of me and everything is great. Even though the surroundings around her didn't look, she wasn't living a, a plush life. She didn't become wealthy off the 500 hymns she wrote. But she had this connection with Jesus, to say, well, turn your eyes on Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this earth, they're going to grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And what, what a revelation she had. What, and then like I read this last verse, I want to read it again to you. His word shall not fail you, he promised. Now, you got to understand, this, is a, this song was written in three, four times. It's a waltz. And, and so I'm not even reading it like, you know, the, right? 
But when I read it like this, look what it says. His word shall not fail you. You know, there's a, it's not like, his word shall not fail you. He promised. Wow. My gosh, that revelation right there. If you had that sown in your heart, that it doesn't make any difference what comes at you from the north, the south, the east, and the west, you just said, well, uh, the word's not going to fail because he promised, and he will not fail on his promise. I mean, you could live on that manna for the rest of your entire life. Just a situation comes up, and you say, <clears throat> just a second. Let me just see. Uh, uh, no, no, it says right here. Here's his promise. He said, I win, you lose. He's faithful. He promised. He will do it. So because of that, believe him, and all will be well. So then go to the world that is dying, his perfect salvation to tell. <laughs> I mean, is that, that is like the greatest theology right there of God himself. Believe his word. He's not going to fail because he promised. And then because you believe into him, all's going to be well. So then go out in the world that's dying and tell them all about his salvation. Wow. From a little lady written that, that was actually written in 1922. But today we got Christians running around freaking out everywhere, screaming, running up and down the streets. Christians. I mean, I know the rest are nuts because they got nothing to believe in. Right? I'll give them some grace because they don't have a God to believe in. They don't know what the Bible says, and so they got nothing to put themselves on. I would be worried myself. Huh? I would be worried myself looking at these times we live in. But Christians running around freaking out. It's wrong. No faith. But my prayer and my faith is, as we continue to bomb this world with prayer, that Christians will grab hold of simple truths like this old hymn that probably many of them had heard when they were a kid. To turn your eyes upon Jesus. And find the truth, what's going on, and find how much he loves us. And find what it really means to love God and keep him before your face. And then everything in this world, ah, it's going to go strangely dim. Amen? So I just want to encourage you with that tonight. Grab hold of it. Go t do what that says. Go to the world that's dying. And tell them about his perfect salvation. Amen? So praise God. Amen? Are you encouraged tonight? Man, I am. Praise God, I am. You got to understand, I always get this thing from me and then just share it with y'all. So praise God for that. Amen? Stand up. I'm going to pray over your offerings tonight. I'm going to pray over y'all tonight as we go. For everybody out there in the, in the viewing world, man, God bless you. Uh, whatever you're doing right now is a point of faith. Just put your hand on your heart, put your hand over your checkbook, put your hand over whatever, lay your hand on one another there, whatever you feel like you want to do. But Father, I just pray right now that, Lord, the truth of what's been shared tonight of the Word of God, that even what Isaiah prophesied, there is no other God but you. And Lord, we're not going to worship fear and we're not going to worship worry and we're not going to worship all these other things that are out there going on in the world, but we're going to worship you. We're going to hold you and keep you before our face, Lord God. We're going to behold your face before our face. 
Lord, we're going to walk nose to nose with you. And Lord, I just pray over each and every person that right now, because of these words that are going out, that they're anointed of God and they break off the fear. They break off the chains off of people right now. They break off the worry. They break off the fear. And Lord God, rise up the church to go out into the world, a dying world, a lost world, Lord God, a hurting, messed up, goofy world and tell of his perfect salvation, Lord God his perfect word, that he's a God that always holds true to his word. His promises never fail. And so, Lord, bless them tonight. Bless their finances. I declare, Lord God, that we are the wealthiest people on the face of the earth. I declare that we prosper in everything that we do, that we go forth, Lord God, in glory and victory and grace, Lord God, preaching and telling people the good news of the gospel. I declare that our bank accounts have money in them. We don't even know how it got there. Lord, we prosper in everything that we do because, Lord, we just walk in you and trust in you. So, Lord, bless them tonight. Bless them, Lord God, abundantly. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. God bless you, church.